What's going on, everybody? 360 Digital Closing Bell here for our weekly Look Ahead podcast. I am your humble, humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, coming to you live Sunday morning from an undisclosed location here in Denver, Colorado. As always, I am joined by the executive producer and publisher and director of Oil & Gas 360, Stuart Turley. How you doing, man? You're coming live from an undisclosed location in Dallas. How's the weather out there? Absolutely beautiful. It's a great day for a bike ride. It is beautiful. It's beautiful here too. A little overcast. I was up earlier this morning putting together this outline. We have a wild show for you guys lined up, um, and we will get this in your inbox Monday, April 27th, before the market opens. So look for this to drop um, later tonight or tomorrow morning if you're listening. And then we have, like I said, an insane show lined up. We're going to talk about storage and, and what that really means from a trader's perspective and some of my thoughts on that going forward. We have a week at, well, a week ahead in oil trading um, is going to be amazing. We have all the stories. We're going to cover the levels, the commitment to traders. We're going to go to the news desk with Stu. I mean, how, many, how much, can you show people how many papers you have sitting on your desk? This is how much news, if you're watching on iTunes, or excuse me, not iTunes. You're not, no one's watching on iTunes. You're listening on iTunes and Spotify, which we really appreciate. But if you're watching on YouTube, Stu is waving around thousands of papers. It's unbelievable we have so much we're going to get our picks for the week and then if you are listening on itunes and spotify we are going to give nick and steven a call for an itunes exclusive before we get going though we need to do some quick clerical work please 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 if you're not subscribed to the show on itunes spotify youtube do that now pause the show subscribe resubscribe do whatever makes the algorithms no go nuts we really appreciate all the people who have reached out to us said they've enjoyed listening to the show so far. If you don't follow Intercom on Twitter, please do that. We're about to revamp that here very soon. Trust me, you're going to be want to following Intercom if you are in the EFT community on Twitter. LinkedIn, Oil & Gas 360, Intercom. Connect with me, Michael Tanner. Connect with Stuart Turley. We have so many great videos coming out for the Energy 360 Network. On Friday, Stu just launched 10X Technologies in our interview with Miguel Pena, which was awesome. On Monday... As you're listening to this, we will be dropping an, an exclusive interview you can't hear anywhere else with Adam Mateen Energy Principal Tisha Schuler. It drops, like I said today. She is an awesome person. I love, love every time I get a chat with her. She's a specialist in ESG and one of the top ESG. ESG consultants and somebody that if you're an oil and gas company, you should think about working with today because she is one of the best when it comes to outlining and strategizing how your company should move move forward in this ESG world. We will be dropping that Monday. Gregory Whitestone, we have an interview with him that's dropping Tuesday. You should be Stay tuned to that. He's a former geologist turned climate scientist now that sells I Love CO2 bumper stickers. It was a wild interview. You know, that was that was a lot of fun when I it met was. Uh, oh, uh, you know, uh, cat scratch fever. You know, do you remember that one? Yes. Oh yeah, it, uh, old Ted Nugent. He was fantastic. He was one of the nicest guys on the planet. You he know was. what his bumper sticker was? I love CO two. No, uh, I love animals. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, I see. Okay. So I thought we were talking about uh, Gregory Rice over saying, but he is, he, he's an awesome, it's a great interview. And, and really he comes with, you know, his book titled Inconvenient Facts really does that just lays out sort of the facts behind climate science. And then on Wednesday, we're going to drop an exclusive interview with Squirrel. This was just awesome. There are so many cool nuggets. I'll tell you one thing I learned from there that will tell you guys, if you're listeners to the podcast, you get an early exclusive to this. One thing that was mentioned by one of their analysts, and this I found, this was the most interesting thing I took out of this interview. I was, I've been telling a couple of people this weekend, Stu, I've been telling them, don't know who, don't tell them who it's from, but I've been dropping this, is that traffic congestion up 3% last two weeks. That's good to hear if we're talking about demand coming back. We see traffic congestion already going up. That is a really, really good early sign that hopefully some of this demand stuff is coming out. 
was great. Just uh, finding that out in the interview. Well done. That was great. Yeah, no, it, it was it was awesome, and that's really good to hear. It's sort of you know, my, again, my theory is we're gonna have a reverse quarantine, and the demand is going to snap back much quicker than I think it died. But then again, that's just my guess. All right, that's enough of the intro stuff. I want to shift gears to Cushing and really this storage issue from a trader's perspective. By now, we spent Thursday show talking about what negative pricing means, what the storage game is. If you haven't listened to that, moral of the story, storage is the name of the game right now. And it's not that it's not available. It's just that it's all rented out. Currently, there's about two to four weeks left of storage available if at the current inflow rate. And the reason why prices flipped, uh, excuse me, flipped negative was because everything at Cushing was booked out. And our friend, you know, as our friend David Forsberg mentioned in an article that you can check out either on LinkedIn. I think Stu, you published that out on Oil and Gas 360. If you can also view it on his website, I highly recommend you check out his blog and sign up for his newsletter. So much great stuff involving the energy tech stuff. But what he talked about was prices really aren't zero. Oil and gas marketing companies are still buying oil at a above zero cost. You can go to any, you know, just Google oil and gas marketing and refining company specifically. You know, I, I can link to a couple of the, I should start linking to a couple of these in the show notes. So you guys can get an idea of what oil and gas companies are actually getting for their oil. He mentioned in his specific article that, you know, companies were getting about fit an average of about $15 a barrel for the uh, February to March, which excuse me. I mean, is actually a decent number when you consider we saw a negative 37 settlement. But what is, you know, so I'm getting a lot of people say, can we get that? We get prices are negative because Cushing is booked. One, I've been getting from people, how do we get involved in this? And my answer is very simple. Don't. Stay far away from this. This is, yeah, I'm not even playing this game for a for a lot of reasons. One of them being physical delivery of oil is, is its own ball game. Like, do, I mean, I know there's a joke that you're going to have a 10,000 barrels show up at your front door. No, no, no. It's more like you're going to one, have a margin call because your broker actually doesn't know how to take physical delivery of oil. That's the, you know, that's the, um, you know, the secret sauce, not the secret sauce, but that's sort of an, un that's sort of something that a lot of people don't think about. Oh, I'm just going to go buy oil and take delivery of it. I'm just going to sign up for my local futures, bro. Yeah. That dude probably is not taking physical delivery of oil. Not quite how it works. So you're just now stuck with a margin call of, I mean, you're looking at $15 a barrel or, you know, you're stuck with a margin call now to, it's just, we don't even need to give them, do not do that. Um, so that's the first thing I've been giving. The second thing is like, well, what does this just mean for the industry trading as a whole? And really it just gets down to the mechanics of how the WTI future slap options contract is traded. Because this is where those contracts are settled. It's used for two things. One, Cushing is the settlement point for these options, like I mentioned. So that's one mechanics. The second is this is the contract that's used to hedge, which means that in two to four weeks, which some of the estimates put, they're going to be full. You see some people, I think most people are at four weeks. It gets full. I've seen some as low as two weeks do. I don't know how, what the numbers on your side are saying in terms of actually when Cushing's going to be full, but it's, it's a two to four week timeline, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, in fact, it was, um, I was going to say 16 days is a number I saw. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's just over two weeks. So, yeah. So, so, but because of that, this same mechanics could happen again. And, and, and to give you an idea, um, because it uses a settlement point and these are the contracts used to hedge the unintended consequences that come out of this 
could arise squarely. And, 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 and yes, this is what, uh, and what I mean by hedges is most oil and gas operators use the WTI futures and options contracts, specifically the futures options to hedge oil production. And if, you know, the light bulb just went off, it just went off, you know, it's going off for a lot of people. Well, what if you're an oil and gas operator that only exclusively produces, let's say Wattenberg oil, let's or let, you know, the extraction oil and gas, a public oil and gas company here in Denver that exclusively drills in the Wattenberg or AKA my pick for the week, Bonanza Creek only produces onshore WT or excuse me, Wattenberg oil. Well, they're using WTI and the Cushing settlement to hedge their production. And up until today, it's worked fabulously. You didn't have to worry about, oh, I'm producing this oil, but it's settled here. It's fine. Well, now we're getting into the idea of hypothetically, this insane contangoing market can really screw up your hedges. And this, there's an example that I, I think paints the clearest picture. It's from the, it's from the reserve report. And this, this, it's got by a guy named Matthew Serrett. He, this is probably the best oil trading newsletter on the planet. Partly why I'm probably not going to get into the newsletter game because this guy's already doing it insanely well. He gives you two articles a week. He does not spam you. I promise you go to reservereport.substack.com. Sign up for his newsletter. This is a shameless plug. I've only chatted with the guy once on the phone, but it's an insanely good newsletter. And I'd highly recommend everybody who listens to this podcast should sign up for it. So he gives the example of the average three-way collar hedge with the subfloor at 25 using these WTI puts and calls, which in this environment, you can, you know, we can agree to disagree. I hate three-way callers. Some people love them. But imagine this hypothetical situation that arises because of this situation that you've producing local oil at $25 a barrel, but your WTI futures contract that you are trading is hedged. And because storage is unavailable at Cushing, they're trading at $15. That subfloor you bought would unexpectedly cost you now $10 extra a barrel, even though you're selling your production at and not below the subfloor price. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm dead serious. That's why do you think I don't like three-way callers? Right there, people. And, and you know, a little behind the curtain, you want to see, you, you want to know why Parsley and Matt Gallagher is all for shutting in production? Right there. They have three-way callers. I should point at the screen. Right there. I'm pointing at one of my screens, right? there. It's because they have three-way. I mean, look at this. Every barrel of oil you produce, you're going to be paying 10 bucks for. Of course they want to shut in. He wants to shut in everything he's got. Turn off the taps. Let's let oil price rise back up to 50 bucks. And I start, it's just unbelievable. And this is honestly an unintended consequence that no one has ever had to think about until now. Because up until now, storage has really never been an issue. We've never even gotten close to even considering that Cushing would be full. It just never would have happened before. And so the, the key takeaway from this is I think what you're going to see happen is the W2I settlement at Cushing is going to be offered elsewhere. I think you're going to see other settlement hubs around the country that, or, that become to mimic more of that local oil. I mean, if you go to, for example, I, one of the price bulletins I use is Plains Marketing and Companies. It's the same one that actually David Forsberg referenced in his, uh, in his article. They, um, um, excuse me, they have 65 or it's like 60 different numbers and 60 different blends, Oklahoma sour off, you know, Texas onshore North. I mean, and we're just talking, everyone hedges with WTI settlements. It's honestly crazy. No one's really thought about this. And I'm not saying I'm smarter than everybody. I didn't think about this until it really, this, this situation arose and you start working through the unintended consequences and you're like, Whoa, 
this is now interesting. So I, I really think what you're going to see is multiple settlement points start coming up that, that begin to more mimic the local oil. You know, natural gas doesn't even do this. The only example me and Stu could find of, of multiple settlement points for these type of contracts was actually the European natural gas markets. Um, and they've actually tried to implement multiple settlement points throughout Europe and, uh, excuse me, the UK and Netherlands, but it really hasn't worked out. So it'll be interesting to see if that changes. But really, that's the situation that arises is you have three-way, you know, and the majority of companies have three-way college. As much as I hate them, it's like half the companies and that, that hedge, and it's like the majority of the volume is either swaps or three-way hedge or three-way college just because they're, they're cheap. It's, you know, it's cheap insurance. It's the same insurance I have if I were to go get smoked by a car outside right now running. I'd be paying, it's a large sum of money. I, I, I wouldn't go into medical debt, thank goodness, but I would definitely have a large bill. And that's basically what a three-way caller is. It's cheap insurance up front to hopefully nothing crazy happens. Michael, your mom would be very mad at me if I let you go out and play in the street and get smoked. So please. She would. But I, I mean, someone could hit me. Someone could drive a car through my door, through my house right now. I'm in a basement. I'd be dead. I, I'm facing the street right now. I have a nice little window that you could, you know, so I, I, all kidding aside, you can sort of now see why the companies that want to shut in, why they want to shut in. This is the situation that they, you know, were realizing a couple weeks ago. And that is now just sort of starting to trickle up with actual negative pricing is this crazy contango for local oil being sold at one price, which is higher, and then your WTI hedge is trading at lower. So in theory, you should, you should be making money off these hedges, but because you chose a three-way caller, you're not. And all kidding aside, you can kind of go through the list of companies that want proration and don't want proration. It becomes very clear who's hedged where. So before we move on, whew, that was good to get off my chest. Is there anything, Stu, you have regarding some of the storage and settlement stuff before we, because I'm about ready to put this and stop talking about storage. Yes, it's going to be a big issue. We'll continue to chat, but I have chatted enough about what I think is going on with storage. So I'm going to kind of lock this one in the and throw this one in the back. We got, I got six, I had six leads I wanted to go with today and we couldn't hit any of them because I just, I needed to get this off my chest. You felt, you felt the need to rant. And you get the golf. Nice rant, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So Um, while you were talking about David Forsberg, he is a regular contributor for oil and gas 360. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just want to give a shout out also to rare Petro. Uh, They talked a lot about a a lot of things in their, their article as well for natural gas that uh, we just put out and it's already had a lot of reads and a lot of hits, but rare Petro being a regular contributor to oil and gas 360, had a lot of the similar things on the natural gas side. So just wanted to share that for you. Uh, no, those guys are doing down. great. Those guys are doing great stuff over at Rare Petro and I'm a little biased. I used to work there. So and, and I, used to, oh. I, started, I started that news poll. So I think it's great. I'm glad we're pushing it. And they've taken it way better than anything I could have ever imagined. Um, but no, oh. I've really enjoyed reading their stuff. Cool. Yeah, their stories have been getting some good hits. Oh yeah, they, they, you know they're, they're the in-depth research. I love how they're linking everything, and they've really created sort of a modern way to view this stuff. So again, partly why I'm not getting—I've considered getting into the newsletter game, but I'm not—I'm slowly pulling the reins off it because there's just so much good stuff out there. And you know, really, what I thought there was a need in the marketplace for was this type of podcast: energy, finance, podcast. No one's really doing that, so that's why we chose the podcast medium. And I'm not going to pound you with newsletters every three days to get. Oh, Michael, you do so much better when you rant. You can't rant on an email. No. Okay, you're meant, you're born to rant. 
I appreciate that. And enough, as Stu says, enough of the man love. Let's just get into our stories and our week ahead in oil trading. But again, this is sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good oil research. They provide all the levels from their energy glint solution. You know, rumor has it they were going to launch an email newsletter. Maybe now they're not thinking about doing it. Who knows what's going to happen, but I will keep you updated with everything that happens with those guys. I'm telling you, if you want to know what's going on in the energy markets, just reach out to these guys, sandstonecg.com. They actually just relaunched the relaunch of a website next week. They just came up with a new update last week. So much good stuff. Please check them out, sandstonecg.com for all your energy market consulting needs. All right. So really how I just want to start this is, 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 kind of go over the things I'm watching for this upcoming week and, and just things I want to touch on. And then Stu's got a large amount of international news decks items we need to get to. Really what I'm watching for both this week and, and as we move into the weeks forward is the, is the USO contract rollover. I know I haven't spent that much time talking about the United States oil fund. It's partly because I don't trade e, e, ETFs. I, 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 I stick to the future side of it. So when you talk about how these ETFs are traded, I don't really like them, um, but it's become a huge issue now in terms of they've now reallocated. Sorry, I just pounded my mic because I'm swinging my arms too much. But uh, it's really become a huge issue now that because how the how, how this ETF or this ele electronic stock, you know, an ETF is basically a stock that you can trade, but that is pricing in other commodities is they invest is they take your ETF money and they invest it in oil futures. So they are trade the, the United States oil fund is trading oil futures, but if you invest in the United States oil fund, it gives you, you know, it allows you exposure to oil price without necessarily buying and selling oil futures. It's become really popular. There's a lot of different ETFs out there. You could get into trading ETFs and do very well. I know a lot of people that do that. But what I'm watching for is the rollover when they're doing the roll now. Um, when the U.S. oil fund rolls, that is a huge amount of volume that they are now selling at a lower price and buying at a higher price, creating what we talked about, that forward curve, but really it's a square. Um, and so that's happening May 5th through May 8th. It's probably going to be the most watched USO contract rollover in years. I don't think anything, it'll be interesting to see what effects that have on the market. The, that ETF was actually halted a few times. I was in a couple trading rooms and there were some traders freaking out because the USO contract was actually halted. And when you're in a trade, you have no idea what's going on. It's absolutely unbelievable. Um, I have a quick update on the negative mail, mailbox comment. We mentioned in the last podcast that negative pricing, does that mean mineral owners necessarily get negative? Are they now going to get a bill from the oil company? And I did a little diving into... Um, uh, mineral rights contracts. And, you know, I can't read every single one. Most of them are, you know, they're, they all, you could, me and Stu could write a mineral agreements contract and get it notarized. And it could, we could say whatever we wanted between us. I mean, as long as it's notarized, it's fair. I, so this is the example I found was from just the majority of, this is just sort of a cut and dry average mineral contract. Basically it says the, the mineral owner bears no cost at any point And all of the costs are on the producer. I don't necessarily need to read you all of the, the nutty language in there, but, but, but trust me, I will post that to the show notes. So no negative mailbox money. If you own minerals, whew, you're good. You're good. I wonder how many emails I'm involved. I used to, uh, I used to be involved with Camo, the Colorado Association of Mineral Rights Owners. They're great. They're, they're, they're great people. I, I'm not on their mailing list anymore. I was wondering if they were pounding people with those. No, don't worry. You're not going to have to get bills in your thing. I wonder if that, I wonder how many inbound leads they were getting from that. Um, but that's really all I have uh, up. I have for upcoming news items. I know, Stu, you have a bunch of international stuff we need to get to. Oh, yeah. Hey, Michael. Uh, it's been just uh, internationally. 
you know, oil and gas 360 is uh, it really got a substantial amount of uh, uh, international uh, business and traffic. Um, and one of our uh, articles we just put out this morning, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait have already started uh, cutting oil output way ahead of schedule. And uh, they're not even waiting for the date. Um, it's going to be 23% of really? production by May 1. <laughs> but they're already starting now. Now, that bringing up, you have South Africa just had a uh, stimulus of 500 billion Rand, uh, which is $26 billion stimulus package. They cannot afford that. And that you 26 billion American dollars? Yes. Cool. But they're financially not able to handle that as well because of the financial problems that they've had with the World Bank. So this is going to go along with a little theme you've got going on here. You got South uh, South Africa having that issue. Russia will be slow to recover because it's in trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, it has got some serious problems, um, and it is set up. They were set up to run on futures and all of their long-term contracts right now. That's why Putin's not really worried about um, uh, putting uh, anything or any more slowdowns in is because of his longer term contracts. Well, you said they're hedged well, didn't you? Yes, that's it. You just nailed it. So here's the problem though. He, he is at uh, almost Venezuelan type uh, structure for his economy. They have so much of their economy is energy based. Now, all that being said, he can survive a little longer, but his total economy is in. I thought you were going to say the S word when you were doing the comparison, but I, you didn't, I which did is fine. I no, but I did see a news item that Luke Oil, which is one of the biggest Russian operators, nine yep. to eleven dollars, they're comfortable with. That's yeah. crude oil trading at. Woo! Okay, uh, let me throw a number out here that they are comfortable with at um uh natural gas what number do you think they're comfortable with oh i don't even want to guess what is it i'm gonna be too i make too many predictions on this show i'll leave this one up to just Fuck. what is it oh ooh, and it could be it, oh it, if you believe you know bernadette and Enverus, which i do i believe what's coming out and you know you know maybe listen to sprule see what they say when that drops wednesday but i think you they're gonna be that's going to be some green, green, green if really oil gets up. Because if they can make money at a buck, woohoo! They, they can make money at a buck, and they Ooh. like it. Okay, a lot of green. Mess, a lot of green. Don't mess with Russia and natural gas. They got it down to uh, a science. All right, let's move. I guess now, thank you, Stu. We'll go ahead and move to the levels um, for the week. Really what I'm seeing is the levels haven't moved much since Thursday um, or since the Friday came out on uh, podcast came out on Friday. We recorded that Thursday afternoon. I still see the pivot point 1650. We're trading at 1694 right now. That's where the market ended up closing at. So that pivot point is just really where their largest chunk of volume is in terms of the levels for your bull for the bulls this week. I mean, really, it's, it's a large jump. You're either, it's either 18 bucks is your ceiling or you really think it's going to give up a 20. I mean, if it pops above 18, you know, we don't give investment advice, but I mean, I'm buying. 
large amounts. If we're pop above 18, if we see 18.20 for oil, I think we're going to then see 20 very quickly. I just, there's very little volume. I think it'll slip up there quickly. I think you're going to see hedge funds who are, as we'll talk about in the commitment traders, who are already long, get in long more. So I think 2021 20, is probably your next ceiling. If we see it slip above 18, 21.03 is your next volume chug in 22.87, depending on how big of a bull you are. That's kind of your cap. On the, da- on the bear side, really a lot more volume to the downside. I mean, basically that's because last week we traded on the downside, but even when you look at a one month chart, there's a lot of volume to that downside. I think 1649 is probably your first point of resistance. 1473 is your next and 1377, but really fat chunks of volume. And I think if you, if it continues to stay down in this range, it's going to be very, you know, warm. I mean, if you're, if you're a price action guy and you're looking at it, you know, if, if you're a trader price action, I would be a bull because there's a bull flag forming right now. You can take a look at that on my charts. Um, I'll have that link. There's a, there's a, there's a easy flag. I mean, I think if you're a bull and you trade price action, you should be getting long now because the flag is already developed and that pole is about to go bing and I'm pointing up if you're listening to the podcast. Um, if you trade order flow like myself, ooh, I don't know. I think it's going to hang out here a little longer. So you kind of have that tension between price action and order flow traders. So it'd be very interesting. Um, to give an example, Tomcat, our favorite pick guy, um, he's a price action guy. So he would be getting, you know, if he traded cool oil, he would be getting long right now because it is a nice, nice bull flag. And really when we move into the commitment of traders, managed money, while they're not trading, while hedge funds aren't trading price action, they're getting long like it's no, like it's their job, literally like it's their job to get long on oil because really right now you can't short it. It's tough. Hedge funds trade on a much longer term than um, some of these really high execution traders when it comes to the futures and they're not getting in and out, they're buying and holding. And, you know, there's only about, you know, 50, you know, you know, maybe a hundred firms that do this. So, I mean, you see that breakdown between 50 traders and the long about 56 on the um, short side, really, you know, that contract on the hedge fund side increased 28,000. Uh, their shorts got eaten by, uh, or dropped by 22,000. That's, that's shorts getting closed out. Those are people that have been short and they're cashing in their insurance. That's why you're seeing a huge sell. And what do you do when price bottoms out? Well, if price bottoms out and you get, are you getting paid in your insurance? Any smart hedge fund manager just gets long. It can't go any lower. I've already been shorting this market for a while. I've already made a tremendous amount of cash. I'm just going to turn around and I'll get long. I mean, oil is trading it. You could have picked up some contracts for like six bucks. I mean, so these guys were getting long all week. Remember, this is last Tuesday to Tuesday. So we had the negative price in that, in this. So Monday, we, we, so this, this takes into account what happened Monday. I wonder how many people got long. And I actually saw a funny story. Uh, Carl Icahn's trading firm tried to actually take delivery of like a million, two million barrels. Couldn't make it happen. So it was uh, talk about a margin call on that point. Now they, they, I'm sure they worked with their guy and got around it, but that's the type of margin call you do not want to um, come get. And I think we just now need to move into our picks for the week. But before we do that, our lawyers have been getting on us and they really just want to make us say, we really need to give a disclaimer before we say this. So, so this is just you know, lawyer talk here so we don't get sued. This upcoming segment is for entertainment purposes only. Everyone on this show, i.e. me, Michael Tanner, invest his money for our own account and we don't manage any outside money. We do not give investment advice and we do not offer securities or have ever been involved on the regulatory side of the industry. Investment is risky and you can lose your entire principal. With that being said, Stu, what's your picks for the week? Well, uh, as far as my disclaimer, just what you said. Okay. For, uh, it covers uh, everybody. <laughs> cool. I, I'm like 
I'm in. Uh, on I have two, Michael. I'm going to stay with LNG. Uh, I did really well. I'm right now up. It's uh, 1.63 and uh, looks like doing well. Uh, Apache. Uh, I'm still going to hang in there with Apache this week, and uh, the reason the technicals have come down a bit, and I think mm. you you've headed before you and I talked about it last week for long term. It looks like it could go Harry Carry, but for right now, I'm playing in and out. So. Yeah, no, I think you're. I, I don't know necessarily if Apache's going to be there long term, but I like you. Um, I like getting long here. Um, you know, if you talk about a fake portfolio here. Um, 10, let's just say $10,000. You never want to allocate more than 10%. I mean, really, you talk to some people, they won't even go more than 1%. Of, but if you're only trading with, say, $10,000, you don't want to go yep. more than 10% to $1,000. So we'll pick you up 90 shares um, at about 1069, see what happens. You know, you're, like you said, you're staying with LNG, which I like. You're exiting Geo Park, which you said was even, correct? Yeah, I, it was up, down, up, down, and uh, that was it. Well, that's a win. And really, you know, if, if, if you actually do get into this, do, do, do get into actually trading some stocks and options, um, if you break even on a trade, you got to count it as a win and you'll start seeing your winning percentage drastically increase. Because if you're not logging each trade you do, you're doing it wrong. So if you're just wildly trading and you're not logging, this is what I'm doing. This is why I got into this trade. And this is what I'm looking for to exit. You're doing it wrong. And so when you go back and because then you can calculate a winning percentage. What's my winning percentage on this? And if you start counting Break evens is wins. You're going to see your winning percentage go from, you know, I've seen it go from 30, 40% to people all the way up to 60%. And all of a sudden the psychological effect comes in. You start, you think you're, you're winning more and it just compounds on itself. You bet. Hey, Michael, on that one though, I'm going to be looking at it hard uh, because it is in the South American mm -hmm. uh, Columbia area and Columbia is going nutty. That, that 4 billion they've got for EMP companies down there is just phenomenal. 10, 10x you and i had talked to uh miguel the the president and he's also got product going in there and well we they also, said the international game is going nuts yeah absolutely and so also the folks over at jca as well are off into columbia so mm -hmm. uh i'm really looking at columbia as a uh anybody servicing in the oil and gas space in columbia is normally something i'll take a look at you heard it here first on the 360 Digital Bell Podcast. Stu is looking at Columbia. Um, but no, so we're going to go and start keeping track of our trades because we need to. So we're going to pick up, like I said, 90 shares at about 1069 for Stu. We'll keep track. He'll let you know when he decides to exit. For me, I, I, I was diving into low debt companies today. I was, that's really what I was looking for. And, and honestly, the one I came across, Bonanza Creek, I really, really like the way their chart looks. The problem is their options table looks weak. I'm a big options guy. If I'm going to trade... Uh, stocks, it's going to be in the form of options. Um, I don't necessarily like to just buy shares of a company because that's just, you're exposing yourself and you have to put up all the capital yourself. Options allow you to leverage and margin up. The problem is I like Bonanza Creek from a price action standpoint, which is generally how I trade stocks. I trade futures from a price action, or excuse me, from futures I trade from an order flow standpoint. Um, stocks and equities, I generally stick to a price action just because of the way the mechanics of the way that both of those asset classes work. But Bonanza Creek, the option tables look week. So I'm just going to get in again, assuming a $10,000 portfolio, I'm not going to allocate more than about 10%. Um, we're also, oh, I also forgot to mention, we're going to use Robinhood as our fake broker. So assuming we don't get hacked and we can get in and out of our trades, um, we got no fees, but if Robinhood ever wants to be a sponsor of the podcast, I will cut that part out and put in a shameless plug for Robinhood. But assuming they don't, and assuming we don't get hacked through Robinhood, we're just going to say we have no fees as well. So I don't want people getting technical. Symbol for 
what's the ticker for Bonanza? Uh, BCEI. Um, they're in a bull, they're in a real just uh, choppy upflow right now. I'm gonna get in just market open 65 shares at 1489. Um, so a little less allocation of shares, uh, but just because I'm paying a little more of a premium than uh, Stu. I mean, it's really why I like them. Or the reason why I like them is their debt to equity. I think their market cap is slim and they're in the DJ basin, which if you want to talk about another nugget we heard, learned from full, this is why I love this job, Stu, because we get to sit on these interviews that you, there's just so many little nuggets. And the one nugget that I heard was that the best performing field in, in Spool's opinion, so this is just Spool's opinion, was the DJ. That's another nugget I took out of there was that they loved the DJ moving forward. Well, Bonanza Creek, all they, all they produce is in the DJ. So it's just another thing when I was looking at this, I was like, I like the price action chart. I love the data I'm hearing about what the Wattenberg's coming out. They had a little, they, they had a weak earnings report and their stock didn't drop, which means I think analysts are bullish. I see a couple analysts have them at $34. I mean, we're buying at $14.89. Like this could be a very nice buy and hold for my portfolio. We'll see how early I decide to exit. If it's anything like, if I haven't learned anything from my XOP days, um, I need to. But yeah, they, uh, Michael, the techs are only looking at them as a one day buy uh, for a week. They're looking at a stronger sell. The other thing uh, that we heard on that interview was that the political uh, unrest or issues in the DJ may also impact on the on DJ production as well. So something to keep an eye on there. Oh yeah. And that's, and, and to be honest, how I look at trades, if, if I don't have any negatives for a trade I get into, it creeps me out. Cause it means I'm not doing enough research. Yes. If you want to be bearish, no, if you want to be bearish on Bonanza Creek, it's the exact, that's exactly what you should be saying. Well, their earnings came out. It's weak. Analysts have sort of, you know, they're still net bullish, but analysts have switched from mostly bullish to about a 60, 40 swap that, you know, you, you know, they're, you know, the DJ does have some political unrest. I'm looking, you know, you know, and that obviously where it doesn't matter how lucrative of an oil field you have and how much economical production you have one swoop of the pen from Jared Polis and boom, no more oil production. So yeah, that's your bearish, but I just, I'm going to, I'm going to sweet bullet. No, I'm serious. If you, if you are evaluating a trade and you can't come up with any negative Again, much like if you're not doing a trading log, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. If, you, if there's no negatives, you're going. And that's the exact negative case for Bonanza Creek. So um, just keeping, just keep, you got to keep you guys honest here because that's what we do. Again, remember this segment, it's just entertainment purposes only. We're not actually buying any of these stocks, but we are going to keep track of our fake portfolio. We'll call it the uh, 360 Digital Bell fake portfolio. We got to come up with some name. All these hedge funds have sweet names like uh, Ray Dalio, his, his uh, Bridgewater, they call it the Alpha Fund. Um, Warren Buffett's got the, uh, uh, they, they call it the Victory Fund. We'll have to come up with a fun name. Uh, MTR. Oh, oh, I like it, Stu. MTR. I think that's what we'll have to go with here. But I think we need to shift gears and get to Stephen Barrow. We've got him hot on the line. As always, Stephen Barrow is our midstream expert. He's the owner-operator of Patronus Energy, the top midstream consulting company. They're out of Oklahoma. They do excellent work. Stephen comes on every single week and gives us the best midstream advice. I really appreciate him joining us. So, and Stephen, you know, I, I talked this whole show about negative pricing. I've talked a bunch of shows about negative pricing. I'm really what I want to do is is let you give your opinion. What does negative pricing mean from a from a midstream perspective? Oh yeah, I mean uh, storage has been a hot topic for the last couple of weeks. It's going to remain so. Uh, and let me tell you why. I mean, we we have about I don't know two to three weeks, depending on who you ask, 
uh, left before we hit top of tank. Now, top of tank, it, like once you hit that level, you're done. Like oil's got nowhere left to go. So um, you have to, there might be some avenues left of like being really creative of where to stash it or store it. But for the most part, like we'll be really hurting. And if, you know, you're in the business of trading oil and there's quite a few, um, then you're really in a bind because you're, there's a significant risk for you if you can't take possession of the oil when your contract comes due. Uh, so yeah, that's, that, that's a big, big topic right now. Uh, and let me just say, um, like there's still storage left if you know where to look. And so this is one of the things that my firm does is we, um, you know, we're closely knit to several different facilities that can store oil. Um, and so if you, if you're curious or if you have oil or if you're a producer or a trader or whatnot, you know, please don't hesitate, reach out. Um, if, if we're right fit, you know, we'll certainly connect you with a place that has storage left. So. Yeah, no, and, and definitely please reach out um, his contact information uh, for Patronus. We will make sure to put that in the notes and it's, it, it's crazy. And this is something that I, I talked about on my podcast on Friday, which was, um, this concept of possibly there's going to be negative middle, you know, do middle right, do middle owners get negative mailbox money in in their inbox? Um, and that turns out to not happen. But some of just the shut-in royalties, when these shut-ins start happening, specifically at, 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 that that's going to start happening here. How does how is that is that going to change what the market happens? I think we're going to see a lot more shut-ins now. And how's that really going to affect what you do on your side? Oh, good question. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, in the midstream world, there's some companies that have great exposure at the wellhead, meaning they have contracts in place that are fee-based and um, or their percent of proceeds, and they don't have minimum volume commitments in place. And so um, the reason that might be is because maybe the entire company was formed during you know, a different market when everything was hot and heavy and, and, and growing. And so in their risk models, they might have had a um, like a production floor and say, well, worst case scenario, you're going to see this for production numbers. And then, you know, Corona happened or the price war happened and it, it just shattered everyone's risk models. And so um, you realize that you're far more exposed than you really want to be. And for those companies, they're really, uh, they're already starting to hurt and it's going to get a little worse for them. So you got to, in the mainstream world, if you're trying to be an analyst or just have an analyst mindset, when you're evaluating midstream companies, you need to take a look at those contracts. You know, how, how exposed are they at the wellhead? And, and one thing to look for is, um, you know, do they have minimum volume commitments? And really the strongest companies that you see on the market right now uh, are the ones that have done a better job at managing risk through all this uncertainty by doing a couple of things. Like if they have a high percentage of revenues from fee-based cash flows that are under take or pay contracts, uh, you know, meaning they played this pipe or this gathering system and it's available for a producer or a group of them and whether or not volumes are being sent in that pipeline, mm -hmm. uh, they have to pay for the pipe being available. And so that's a really good thing on the midstream side, right? It makes a really strong position. You know, another thing is um, if, if a midstream company has assets with exposure to demand pull pipelines, they're in a better position. And so that, you know, that's a term of art, demand pull versus uh, supply push. Basically, um, 
you know, if you have a pipeline that feeds into a utility or feeds into like an LNG uh, liquefaction or export terminal, uh, the demand from those types of facilities remains constant. And you look at the numbers even now with Corona, I mean, demand's gone down a little, but um, when everyone goes home and stays home and they're not at the office turning those lights on, well, they're, they're running their AC all day. And so, you know, the demand for electricity has just shifted from one location to the other. <laughs> so, and, and, and that's um, not different electrical grid. It's all the same grid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The in the same, typically the same utility provider, the same power plant, and so um, that demand has remained somewhat constant. Again, like there's been some decline, uh, as like you know, uh, just industry in certain areas like had a, a really high demand, but like on average, U.S. or even regionally, it's just that there hasn't been a huge fluctuation even with COVID. And so, if there's a midstream company. And they've got a pipeline that is exposed to a demand pole, like we just talked about. They're going to be, they'll be sheltered from this um, price fluctuation, and they'll be sheltered from, you know, the macro view of, you know, gas production volumes. That's interesting. No, that I, I, I every time we get you on the phone, man, I learned something. Um, you know, I, I think for me, the biggest takeaway from all of this, and then I'll kind of let you sort of give your thoughts is the storage and how this works at Cushing is it's not so much that there's none left right now, but it's what you said is, is it's all booked out. What does the booking process look like? Right. You know, I've, and that's the term that, you know, someone I trade oil, but I don't dabble on the physical side. So when it talks about when I want to, you know, all these inbound people hit me up, well, how, how can I take physical inventory? Well, I'm not quite your guy. Now I, I know how you can hold these contracts till expiry, but actually physically take hold of this is another story. So can you talk a little bit about what like the booking process looks like? And, you know, I think people see that there's a storage available at Cushing and don't really make the connection between what's available, maybe even what's already been rented out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, it's probably helpful to describe it this way by just focusing on one type of storage. And let's just, say, I mean, let's look at rail cars being stored in a rail yard. Okay, that's one way that people store yeah, crude or store other products. Um, and, and so the, the rail yard like owns this, you know, acreage and it's set up in this facility to let, you know, rail cars be stored there. The rail cars themselves probably aren't owned by the same entity, right? There, there's probably some business that owns rail cars and they lease them out to people. And they typically lease them um, with one-year contract. Uh, it, you know, that's kind of the, the popular thing. Um, you, you could probably have reduced prices if you lease it out for five years at a time. And so um, you, you can you can probably find them month to month, but it'll be really expensive. And in, in many areas, it might might be crossing line into like speculative investing, right? <laughs> like where you could make money or you could lose a lot of money if you're yeah, kind of exactly. just to make it simple, people have asked me, how do they get in on this negative price action? And I just say, you don't, you don't, because there's <laughs> yeah. a lot, that, if you want to talk about risk modeling, who, I don't know if you can build a risk model that would make something that like a track, but sorry, continue. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and the same thing can translate to like a big, like tank that's like several hundred thousand barrels of volume. And like, it's expensive for the, the land and the permitting and the steel. And it takes a long time to build that stuff. And nobody is going to do that unless they have assurances 
that um, people are going to fill it with their product. And so before they even like finance it, they're going to go out to producing companies and they're going to say, all right, how much you're going to produce over the next, I don't know, year, 10 years. I like just, you know, some projection and we're going to, you know, let you subscribe to this space. And so that way we can, we can build a financial model to finance this project. And, um, and so they, they spend, they do all their due diligence and kind of get a group of producers together and, and create those subscriptions. And so that tank might not be full, but all that space is reserved for this basket of producers that has said, you know, we want space long-term on that, you know, at your storage facility. And so that's the reason why it like, it would be an extremely risky proposition for some, you know, for like a storage provider to build an expensive facility for like month to month <laughs> type contracts. Cause it's not like apartment complexes where like housing demand remains somewhat steady, mm-hmm. you know, like this contango environment just hit what a couple of weeks ago and it's going to last not forever. It's going to last, um, you know, till demand kind of climbs back up and the futures market will go into backwardation and, and then everyone's going to, not care at all about storage. You know? Exactly. I do so. find it a funny concept that backwardation we we call normal backwardation. It should be called normaldation. <laughs> yeah, normaldation. That's how it normally is, and where that's, we typically like it. Yeah, and it's usually a curve, not a square. But now I'm just bringing up old segments I talked about. So, well, I want to just you know before we let you go here, I want to give you a chance. Is there anything you know why I love bringing you on each week? Is because you educate me so much on what's going on in the midstream business when you look into you know next week and you look into this upcoming week is there anything that's on your mind anything that we should be watching out for oh i think uh you should continue to watch the information put out by the energy information administration related to storage volumes and inventories Um, they also put out some really good information about the latest projections of crude production natural gas production uh that should help the analysts out there to you know get a flavor for what what's going to happen what the market's doing um keep watching for companies that are starting to feel the pinch and and be in trouble Um, again on the midstream side those will be companies that um are largely exposed at the wellhead so um you know as as the market continues to be uh tight there'll be companies that might be moving closer to bankruptcy no, and that's awesome. And I promise you after this segment, I'm going to be going through all of the 10Ks for these companies to see if we can find some spicy plays for the listeners. So Stephen, as always, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. You can get a hold of him at PatronusEnergy.com. You can find him on LinkedIn at Stephen Barrow. Get a hold of him via email, Stephen.BarrowPatronusEnergy.com. He's awesome. I love chatting with him. Thanks, you always, for joining me. Thanks, Michael. Quality stuff from our boy, Stephen Barrow. We really appreciate, again, all of his time. But we've got Nick Barry hot on the line. As always, Nick is our energy finance guru. And we come to him every week to get his perspective from both an upstream and a midstream finance site. He does great work. You can find him at nickjberry24 at gmail.com, or you can find him on LinkedIn, Nick Barry. Nick, you know, I, there's, I want to get into to, to a bunch of stuff today, but first, I just need to get your take, and really what I want to, you know, understand is we've been talking about negative pricing for a while. Give me your take on negative pricing from an upstream guy's perspective. Well, what are your thoughts? How, is, how, how does someone who's sitting in that upstream C-suite, really, how are they thinking about this negative pricing? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, glad to be back on the show, Mike. Um, if you're a, a C-suite exec or, or engineer in the ENP shop right now, I think uh, you look at that negative pricing and, and the economics on every single one of your wells does, does not look great, to say the least. Um, and this is novel, bro. This is novel. Something, if, if you if you look, I mean, yeah, if you think, okay, maybe this thing is gonna you know really turn around and weather the storm, then you could probably run some favorable economics. But um, if the long-term outlook of the prices being so low, obviously, is going to lead to obviously what we what you've covered, um, shutting in wells, shutting in production until these prices um, kind of find somewhere where it's economic to turn wells back online. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's talk about the economics. I've been. You know, you, you look at, you know, one of the talk, talk about, talk about the reserve report, which I mentioned earlier, he, he's been doing a series on going through each company and, and, and which companies work at $30 a barrel. I love how now we're going to have to move that number down to like 15 in order to make it because there wasn't much working at 30, let alone 15. <laughs> so I, I want to shift gears now because you mentioned something. And I think this is sort of what we're rolling into is, is the shut-ins and I thought the craziest stat that I've read all day today was that in the U.S. there were more wells producing less than 10 barrels a day than not. I think that's going to be a huge issue when it comes to shutting in wells. Am I wrong? No, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think it's going to be really interesting. And as all the operators are evaluating their strategies of which wells to shut in, because it's really not – it's a difficult question. It, it may sound easy, but it's a question that we've really never had to face as an industry. We've really very rarely shut in unconventional shale wells. So there's a big um, question of how those wells will come back, what rates they will come back at. And then also for these old conventional wells, like you mentioned, produce under 10 barrels in oil a day. Um, will those wells come back or will operators bring them back online. And if you if you think of kind of a portfolio of wells, the example I was giving the other day is like, if you're a car collector and you've got a garage full of cars, you know, you've got a nice Ferrari sitting there and then a bunch of old other clunkers and you shut, like, let's just say you shut them in or leave them there. I mean, the chances that your, you know, Ferrari is going to come back online and start up and be drivable is probably very pretty high right but if you let those old clunkers sit there inactive i mean they may never come back or you may you know what why even bring them back back online so i think those will be interesting things as we'll evaluate moving forward no i think it's super fascinating and, and so from that perspective you're the reservoir guy when you sh- so w- when you would go and pick wells, I mean, I mean, walk us through a decision. I think, I think that's important. So if a lot of these wells can't be, you know, these 10 barrel a day wells, you know, what, what, what I think was classified as a stripper well, be really turned back on. Is that mean you're picking and choosing some of your mid range share shale wells, which you think might have enough juice to, to come back online. I mean, is that sort of where you're at when you're looking at the stuff? Yeah, no, I think it depends kind of how you want to approach it but you know um the shut-in procedure for a well is pretty is pretty easy Uh, it doesn't cost a a ton of money and same with turning a well back online and and like you mentioned uh, the lowest risk would be 
right? To evaluate a, a highly produced, a new shale well. If you shut that well in, you know that you've got new casing, new pipe in the ground. Um, it's a very productive well. So I think you probably have a pretty high chance of that well coming back online. Now, if you're shutting, if you decide, you know, we want to shut in a bunch of, you know, stripper wells or low producing wells, um, the chances that the, 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 the casing will have integrity when you try to bring those wells back online or that the rate will even come back to anywhere where it was at um, is pretty, is, is definitely noticeably lower. So I think that's got to all be in consideration when operators are looking to do this. Yeah. And, and so if you do decide to go, you know, the shut in of this, this, this small bear, you know, these small producing wells, are you just basically making the assumption that we're going to eventually just going to have to plug and abandon these wells? Or is that, because I assume that's an expensive cost that has to be taken into account that if you're going to shut in a well that you don't think you can turn back online, you're eventually going to have to plug it, which is probably going to cost you some cash. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that is definitely when guys are running economics on this, I think that is something that's definitely being considered is what is that risk and, and what are the chances that we're just going to, you know, we're, we'll shut in the, the, the well that produces five barrels of oil a day now, leave it shut in for however long this is, and then we'll probably walk away from it down the road. Um, you know, and you kind of have to weigh that with, okay, we're, and you're going to do that to a bunch of wells, right? Rather than, okay, we'll shut in a couple high producing new shale wells, you know, let them sit and it might be more expensive to turn back on. We might have to get the wells cleaned up, um, you know, before they start producing, but the, the risk of actually having a plug, plug and abandon those wells is a lot less. Yeah, it's much easier to change the oil on a Ferrari after it's been sitting there, like your analogy said, than, than, than try to do mm -hmm. a complete engine mm -hmm. rebuild on some of these old clunkers. So I really like that. Well, okay, so that's that, that's interesting, you know, I think because I think shut-in wells, storage has been the huge issue and has been the hot-button issue for the past, I don't know, two weeks as everyone becomes a I think these shut-ins are going to be the story moving forward and hopefully – um, you guys have been hearing this stuff first as we move forward into the next week, you know, is there anything that you're, that you're worried about that we should, uh, that, that the people of this show should be watching, watching out for when it comes to upstream oil and gas? Yeah, I think one thing to keep an eye out is when these producers shut in wells and if, if like, let's say, I think a lot of guys will take the stance of shutting in, um, just a few of their higher producing wells because again it's the new ferraris and and the chances of them coming back are pretty high so mm -hmm. as we as production starts to shut in and demand starts to pick back up and we start to see favorable prices the break-even economics on turning a well that is shut in in the ground back on is very low meaning it really requires a low oil price to get that thing back producing and making money um, very soon. And so I think what you're going to see is you'll see a lot of guys having right when prices start to look favorable to any degree, turning on production, and then you're going to get um, an increased flood of supply in the market. That's kind of kind of keep prices at a reasonable level, you know, unless there's some big shift in a, a, a global politics or global supply and demand.
Or you have three-way callers, a.k.a. Parsley, as we mentioned in segment one. Um, what a situation oh, they're in, man. You got, you know, you're, you're, you, and, and I want your take on this because my, my big takeaway from negative pricing, and I know we talked about it at the first, but I want to just circle back because my big takeaway from all of this was we got to change where this, this set, the WTI is settled. I mean, not that we can't have WTI settlement there, but you have operators who don't even produce anything that's close to a WTI grade oil, yet they have to hedge using that contract. I mean, you, the fact that, I mean, yeah. no, no one was smart enough to necessarily foresee this. So it's not that it's a new issue, but I, th- this has got to be something that gets changed quickly because who knows? I mean, this is going to happen next month and it could be negative 100. That, that's the stuff I've been hearing <clears> at least. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think these are kind of unchartered times. People are having to think in different ways about commodity prices than they ever were. And I think you're completely right. I mean, WTI is is one benchmark of crude, but uh, as far as different areas and just in the U.S. alone, you have tons of different qualities that that should be traded on different pricing and there should be a lot of different um, pricing pricing risks or hedging strategies that are more involved with that uh, specific commodity. I'm all for it. It would make you give me more work to do. It would just, it would just, help <laughs> it would just give me more work to do. So I let's get 25 I, different yeah. settlement points. I'm interested. Well, Nick, Hey, we really appreciate you joining us here today. As always, you give us some high level stuff. So thank you. And we'll see you next week, my man. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Mike. Y'all have a great week. Look forward to uh, touching base next week. High level stuff there from Nick. We really he makes me smarter every single time I chat with him. And we're gonna next week we're gonna have to get his thoughts and get him a uh, get him some slots allocated in our uh, portfolio we have coming. I think we came up with a name. I forgot what it was. I'm not quite sure, but um, we are coming up on an hour here. So I'm gonna go really go ahead and let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 digital closing bill here on Oil and Gas 360 and Intercom, and we'll see you guys this afternoon.